Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Wani Gold Talk podcast. It is Wednesday, right around 6 o'clock. Chris Fedor, Joe Varden with you. We've got a lot of questions to get to. You guys have sent those in on Twitter. Um, but before we get into those, Cavs a winner in Game 1. Toronto had the game right there in their hands. They threw it away. Cavs able to grab it. Uh, Cavs talked about a total team effort as LeBron was unusually inefficient uh, for probably the first time in the postseason. But the Cavs were able to come through, get the win. They lead the series one game to nothing. Joe, how is the vibe in Toronto after what happened last night? Well, um... I think this team feels pretty good about itself right now. Yep. Um, you know, you don't want to get too far ahead of anything, uh, but especially when you're talking about on Saturday morning, it felt like the entire organization was about to collapse. Mm-hmm. You know, you lose a game, you lose a game seven, LeBron leads, total rebuild, it's a disaster. Um, and so they win that game, and then they come out here in game one against the Raptors and totally steal it. They're down by like 14 or something like that. Yep. Uh, and, and a bunch of guys played great. LeBron isn't one of them, and they still win. Yeah. <laughs> and now you've got guys starting to look at each other in the, in the room like, you know what, we can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to go back to, I was thinking about this when, when you and I decided to, uh, to do this today. Sure. Um, I, I want to go back to maybe the last podcast we did. Um, but it was in the middle of the Indiana series and you were saying, do the guys in the room think they can do this? Yeah. And and my answer at the time was, at, that no, at present, I don't think they can, but what everyone needs to be careful of with this team is they were going to use these playoffs to kind of get to know who they are mm-hmm. as a playoff team. And that if, if they figured it out, in time, that they could be dangerous. And, um, I mean, you and I know well enough not to react to any one game, right. but going from what we saw in Game 7 to what we saw in Game 1 against the Raptors, you start to wonder if they are figuring it out. Yep. And if they are, then I do believe this is the dangerous I think that's an interesting point, and I think um, there were times in the Indiana series, Joe, and and again, a series can be crazy, and the emotional swings of it, the confidence swings of it, all that kind of stuff. Um, oh yeah, and and you always have to credit one team for whatever happens, but there's also another part of the story always, and I feel like at times throughout the Indiana series. 
late in games, money time, um, the Pacers looked like a team that didn't know how to handle that situation. Um, yeah. And it's a team that really hasn't been there. They haven't gotten over that hump. They haven't had playoff success. And I felt like you could see that. Um, and they let the Cavs off the hook, where if it would have been maybe a different team or a better team or a more experienced team in the first round, like that might have been the prime opportunity to get the Cavs when they were most vulnerable. But when it was crunch time, late in games... The close games, the Cavs usually found a way to win those. Um, And I feel a little bit the same way in last night's game. You know, that was a prime opportunity for Toronto to exercise some playoff demons to show that they did belong in this series against the Cavs, to show that this year was going to be different, to show that the last year, everything that they did in terms of their roster, changing the scheme, building a bench... All so that they could be better equipped in a seven-game series against the Cavs. Last night was their opportunity uh, to show that this was a different team and the results were going to be different. And they let the Cavs hang around long enough to steal it from them. And I think that's very, very telling. I think there is a mental edge that the Cavs have over everybody in the Eastern Conference. And until a team shows that they can get over that when it matters the most... Like, almost nothing else matters what happens in a series. Yeah, I, I mean, you're talking about mental edge, and that is really interesting. I would love if we could um, just say, okay, I'm sorry, everyone, you have to go home. Uh, only one game in the conference semi. <laughs> so you see the, uh, the Cavs in Boston in the conference finals because they are doing it all on grit and all on mental toughness. Yep. Um you know, I, I really think that the Cavs would be the more talented team uh, in, uh, in that series. Um, but Boston is just kind of doing it doing it the same way. I mean, they're ridiculously well coached, which, yep. you know, not everyone thinks the Cavs are that way. I actually think Ty's done a, really a pretty good job in these playoffs. Um, but, but they're just doing it on you know, not not blinking, not flinching in that in that fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right. The the thing is, Chris, is that the Cavs did that last year too. And it just it goes back to this whole thing about being there and having done it in the final. Um, you know, they obviously they had most of their team back in the twenty sixteen finals last year. So it would make more sense, but it was like there was some crazy stat that I used to have about how like the Cavs record in close games, it was outrageous. Um, because they just don't, they don't screw this up. And then, um, you know, in, in, uh, what is it, this year, the Cavs are something in O when they, they're leading in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, well, something in one now because Indiana got them once in that first round series. Did, did they? Yep. Yep. Which game? Which game? game three, right? Game, that, that was it, game three. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, you know, when it comes down to that fourth quarter um, or, or overtime, uh, you know, you will take your chances with the ball LeBron can yep. and Corver and even Kevin. Yep. He's been crap. But, like, you know, he's some big shots in these fourth quarters. And you take those guys with their shoulders square to the basket. JR shoots when his shoulders aren't square to the basket. Yep. But but those are the guys, you know, that are taking these shots and 
I mean, they've done it so many times that, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of a huge advantage. So I think you're right. Like, Toronto had a bunch of chances to win at the end, but they let this get away from them by yep. not putting the Cavs away in the third quarter yep. um, when they really had a golden opportunity to do that. Yep. And, and I think um, it was C.J. Miles who said it earlier today following practice. Like, he Your said, favorite player. <laughs> By the way, he had a tip for the win. He had a tip for the win. There it is. Um, he it's also naked. had a butt-naked three-pointer that he clanked that turned into a Kevin Love three-pointer, big six-point swing. Uh-huh. Like, that could have been the potential yeah. dagger. And those are the things that I'm talking about. Like, it's one thing to be able to make those shots in a series against Washington, right? Or it's one thing to be able to make those shots in the second quarter or the third quarter. But in the fourth quarter, when all the pressure is on, when you know that one shot can be the difference between winning and losing, like, can you hit it? Serge Ibaka had a wide-open three-pointer from the corner because the Cavs were like, it's not going to be DeRozan, anybody but DeRozan, and Serge is wide open, the closest defender is probably Drake on the play, and he bricked it. Absolutely bricked it. It would have given them a four-point lead. And then Fred Van Vliet had as good of a look as you could ever want at the end of a game. And that's a 41% three-point shooter. And he clanked it. Like, if you can't make those shots against the Cavs, because they are saying anybody but DeRozan, anybody but DeRozan, like, if you can't make those shots... I'm sorry, you can't win the series, probably. It's going to be very, very difficult. So let me ask you a question. So, okay, so the Raptors, they can look at this one of two ways. They can say, listen, we got blown out in turnovers. Um, our bench was no no good. Uh, we had nine looks at the end, mm. you know, between regulation and overtime. We had all these chances. Not all, like, those things are going to go our way. Or... You could say LeBron was twelve freaking thirty and we didn't win. Yep. And my question to you, Chris, is given the history between these two these two franchises and the history the Raptors have of playing great in the regular season and season and falling apart against the Cavs in the playoffs against LeBron, um, how do you think they're thinking about this today? So, Joe, I think they are saying all the right things, and it's great to hear that from them because it's a good team. It's a very good team. They had a great regular season, um, and they would probably be considered the favorite to come out of the Eastern Conference if not for the Cavs and LeBron and the hurdle that they haven't shown that they can get over, and people wonder if they can get over. So it's great that they're saying those things, and they should be saying those things. But I think this one's very, very difficult for this team to get over because of the past. Because in the back of their mind, they have put everything into trying to beat these Cavaliers. And um, in, in the past, it simply hasn't been good enough. And I think last night's one of those moments where it's like, if we can't get that game, right, we're at home, Uh, The Cavs came in not as prepared as they usually are because of how quick of a turnaround it was. Uh, The Cavs were emotionally exhausted after the Game 7 win against Indiana. Uh, As you said, Joe, LeBron was 12 of 30. Uh, He didn't score in overtime. Uh, He was not very good in the fourth quarter. Like, if if you're the Raptors, a human element comes into play that, that makes you say, like, 
what the heck can we do to beat this team? And, and Joe, they were 30-1, and 30-1 the Raptors during the regular season at home when taking a lead into the fourth quarter. And they blew it. Yeah, I mean... Exactly what they needed to happen in that game happened, and they still couldn't win it. Le- LeBron and Kevin were a combined 15 of 43. No. Oh. And the Cavs still won the game. Yep. And it's like, these teams, you know, Indiana came really close, but it's like, <laughs> these teams are not taking enough advantage of Kevin kind of being lost. And I don't think he's going to stay lost. And if if Kevin joins the party, I'm just, I'm saying, you know, the, the Cavs have really have a chance to be good. Yeah, I mean, again, the Raptors are a good team. It's the first to four wins. It's a seven-game series. Uh, they're going to have to prove that they can recover from a really, really tough loss. But but I think okay. the, the way that Let last night went... Something. Let me drop something on you. Yeah. Um, th- this stopped me in my tracks today when I saw this. Okay. Do you know what the Cavs record, you know what the Cavs record is in theory franchise, like over the course of their franchise when they win game one? Have absolutely no idea. They are eighteen and one in those series. Oh. Well, I mean, let let this sink in for a minute. Well, yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. When's the one that they lost? Was that? I think it was the. Um, I, it might have been twenty ten. It might have been, uh, I think they got game one over Boston. Oh. LeBron, um, I think they did. Huh. I think they got game one. Because, like, they won game one, and LeBron accepted the MVP, right? And then um, the, then the Delonte stuff came out, mm-hmm. and they lost, and that was it. I, I think that's I, it, like It didn't have that in the notes when I saw it. I don't know. Um, but I, I would guess that was it. That is, you're good. You're really good. That's correct. Yep, the Cavs won game one, 101-93. And then they ended up losing the series. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that illuminates the point. That's what the Raptors are up against, on top of the fact that they do have some playoff demons that they're trying to exercise. And look, Joe, like... If they hit one of those key shots that they haven't been able to hit against the Cavs in the last three years, suddenly they any might, one of them. Yes, any one of them. Suddenly they might have confidence, and if they do it in Game Two, they might have confidence going to Cleveland. But until they show themselves, I think that they can hit those shots that they have not been able to or can't one or the other. I. I have a hard time seeing this series outcome anything different than the Cavs at this point. And and you know how I felt going in. I felt Raptors in seven because I thought it was a coin flip thing. But I think the way that the game unfolded last night, um, those are the games that you can't lose and expect to beat the Cavs in a series because the Raptors' margin for error um, is not as significant as some more talented teams and some more playoff-tested teams that may be able to get over those kinds of things. So I just, and I, we have a lot of like, um, we all, I know we have a lot of other topics we want to get to. Yeah. I, on this one, I would close with just no one you talked to um, thought the Cavs would win game one in this series. Right. 
right. um, and, and and they did. And I think though the one thing that you kind of have learned through these playoffs, and it's almost I don't want to say every series, but in, in a lot of the series, it's just like you've learned above all else. There's no such thing as momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, that mm-hmm. every game is different. So the Raptors could be fine, but they are in a position that no one thought they would be in through one game. Yep. Um, and it, the series is certainly there for the taking out for the Cavs, and it would have been had they not won game one. Yep. Um, so now they've, they've, they've got a leg up. So you've got the story on Cleveland.com. It was the story all day today. Uh, the Cavs appear like they're going to stick with Kevin Love as their starting center despite um, that not working very well, and despite the efforts of Tristan Thompson, especially against Jonas Valanciunas. So take us through the decision um, of Ty Lue to continue to go with that. Right, so um, the Cavs beat the Raptors twice during the regular season, both times in Cleveland, both times they scored a ton of points. I think once it was 132, and then the other time it was the 112. Yep. Um, Kevin had huge games in those series, or in those two games. Huge game. He was awesome. Um, and he technically played the five. Now, uh, so, so that is kind of the rationale for what they're doing in this series. They're saying, look, this works. Mm. We're better against the Raptors when we go small. It should put Valanciunas in a bad spot. Yeah. It didn't work at all yesterday. No. Um, and it, did, it didn't work because they, because Kevin's in a bad way, He's not shooting the ball, and Jonas he didn't go. He didn't go out there. He st- he stayed in the lane. He stood there with his arms up, waiting for LeBron. Um, made it tough on LeBron. Grabbed all the rebounds, and Kevin was three at thirteen. Mm-hmm. So the the only way this works is if Kevin is making shots. Yep. He was he shot six, sixty-seven from three in those two games um, during the regular season. Now here's the wild card. In both of those games, they went, quote, small. Yep. But the but the, the wild card that I mentioned was Jeff Green started next to Kevin in both of those games. And um, Corver played great last night. He bombed a bunch of threes. He had however many points, 19, I think, 17. I don't know. He had a bunch of threes. He had, he had a huge game. Um, but that could, be the, that could be the switch, okay? Kevin's playing the five. Tristan's coming off the bench. This is what we're sticking with. We need floor spacing, yada, yada. But I, I'm wondering if they make that change, Jeff, for Corver, because he seems to be the wild card that kind of unlocked Kevin against the Raptors. And, and Jeff was awesome last night against the Raptors again. Mm-hmm. So I have two things on that. One is a comment, and the other is a question. Um, okay. My thing is, I... I know that the coaches like do all of this research and they look at things that have worked in the past and they want to lean on those kinds of things. And it makes sense. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but I think there's a danger, Joe, in going back to the regular season and leaning on stuff that worked in the regular season and then expecting it to also work in the playoffs. Like, for example... In the regular season, Serge Ibaka wasn't guarding J.R. Smith in those types of matchups. You know what I mean? So there are like different things that a team can do in a seven-game series because of the way that they've scouted you, because of strengths and weaknesses, 
because of all the advanced work that they've done in terms of film breakdowns and finding tendencies and all of that kind of stuff, um, where they can do things now in this seven-game series that makes whatever happened in the regular season moot. So just because Kevin Love was good for the Cavs at center against the Raptors in the regular season, like that doesn't mean that it's going to work in these playoffs. Just because Jordan Clarkson was one of the Cavs' best bench players in the regular season and one of the best bench players in the entire NBA, that doesn't mean that he's going to be that in the playoffs. You know what I mean? So I think there's a danger in the Cavs hanging on to, well, in the two games in the regular season, Kevin Love did this against Jonas Valanciunas. I, I don't like that line of thinking. And my other question is, uh, if the Cavs end up losing the game last night, right? If, if Toronto doesn't throw it away, vomit all over themselves, and go 3 of 18 in the final nine minutes of the game, uh, do you think Ty sticks with this? Man, that, that's a great question. Right? Um, it, it is. A, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, but... I made these comments again today after having seen the film. So they believe in um, they they believe that this is the right way to play the to play the Raptors. Um, they they believe, and I think it's correct that it it should put um, Ibaka and uh, the rookie uh, who actually Jeff Zogut explained the right way to say his name um, <laughs> and and. and uh, I, I think it's what is it? How would you? How do you say? I say Anyobi. I say I mean, Ananobi. Okay. Well, Kim, it puts those two guys. How about we just call them OG, like we like we do with Giannis? OG, yeah. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. So, so it puts those two guys in a tough spot, um, and and it should put pressure on 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 down shooting. I think the other thing is um, the Cavs kind of like the idea of Valanciunas taking 19 shots. Right. I think that's right. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, like, they kind of want him to attack to attack Kevin and his ass a little bit. I mean, <laughs> uh, just because that means that Lowry, I mean, Kyle only took 12 shots like him. Yep. Um, he was, like, almost a non-factor in the second half. And, uh, so I think they're okay with that. I think they would rather have Valanciunas getting the look than, you know, DeRozan and, and Lowry. Um, you know, I, I still, I'm on their side on this for now because this, if Kevin is right, then this works. We've seen it. Work. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it doesn't work again, if it fails in game two again and they lose in game two, then I, I, I expect some kind of change. And I'm telling you, Chris, I, I, I half expect them to start Jeff Green tomorrow. No one has told me that. Mm-hmm. But reading, the, like, seeing what Ty said, looking back at the numbers, looking at the success of Jeff and Kevin on the court together against those guys, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering about that. Well, that's fascinating. Um but but in what way? Yeah. How does that move Kevin from the five, does it? Well, well. Because it doesn't seem like Kevin's comfortable. I, I mean, that's just, that's just my view of it. Um, for the Indiana series and for the first game of the Raptors. And again, 
things can change quickly in game two. Kevin can make a whole bunch of shots at the beginning of the game, get a whole bunch of confidence, and then he looks like a different player. But but it doesn't seem like he's he's comfortable right now. Um, it doesn't seem like he's liking playing the five. Uh, no. And, and I think if if the goal is, if this is the goal, and I don't know that this is the Cavs' goal, maybe it's not. If the goal is to make Kevin more comfortable, um, then I think playing him with Tristan Thompson is the way to do that. Because not only might it free up Kevin offensively, but it takes pressure off of him on the defensive end. Like, when he's the last line of defense, suddenly all of the flaws come to light with the Cavs on the defensive end, and usually Kevin's the one getting blamed for it because he's the last line of defense. But when he plays power forward as opposed to center, there's not as much pressure on him on the defensive end, and he's not being asked to do things defensively that he simply can't do because he's limited on that end. So if the goal is to make him more comfortable, I think it's move him out of the center spot. Yeah, that is not the goal. Like, I mean, basically... Like I went to practice today, like with the I with like you know the goal on my list uh-huh. to talk about this and to drill down on what it is they want to do with Kevin in the series. And it is not to make him more comfortable. Okay. It is listen, dude. You're playing the five. Make your threes. Yep. That's what they want. So they're. They're they're thinking it's best for them, even if they don't get great performances from Kevin. They get a spaced out court, and maybe that's going to help LeBron attack. Maybe that's going to open up shots for J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, things like that. Well, well, right. But but what they're saying is that right now um, the Raptors are choosing to take away that lane for LeBron. Yep. And make Kev- make Kevin make the three. Um, you know, history would suggest that Kevin is going to make that three. Right. Uh, and obviously, you know, Korver and J.R. make the two. Um, but so far in the playoffs, that hasn't been the case. So, you know, that, that's a good, uh, fine enough strategy. Um, you know, it, it almost worked last night. Um, but if Kevin starts making it, you know, kind of the way Channing did mm-hmm. um, in, in previous series against those guys, like then the Raptors will have no chance. And again, if we go back to the regular season, I understand the numbers that the Cavs see. I think I looked at them, Joe. When, when Kevin was at center... In the meetings against the Raptors, uh, the Cavs had an offensive rating of 160. <laughs> like, like that's unbelievable. So I can see what numbers they're looking at. I just think to to expect that to translate over to the postseason, especially with this version of Kevin and the way that he played in the Indiana series, uh, it might be a little bit of fool's gold. But as you said, if he starts knocking down those outside shots, the open ones that he's going to get because of the way that the Cavs are playing him, and because of how spread out the court is, and because of some of the matchups that they have in their favor, like suddenly the floodgates start to open, and this team starts to put up 130 points in the snap of the finger. Yeah, I'm still sitting here thinking about. I'm also thinking about um, this team defensively. You know, I think last night they gave up 33 in the first quarter, and it just it looked like it was going to be a night where the Raptors were going to score about 120. Mm-hmm. Um, and that didn't happen. Now, as we've said many times, the Raptors should have won this game based on the number of looks they got late, and they didn't make any of them. Literally, they made none of them. <laughs> um, but but I, I do think that overall, the Cavs kind of got back to 
what they do well defensively, which during the regular season you would say nothing. They don't do anything well defensively. Yeah. Um, but 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 they were pretty good uh, after that that first quarter, and um, that was a big topic of discussion today. Is just you know why are you better? Um, and the answers are the same. It's about communication and about being able to lock in on one opponent. Um, but do you? These are the kinds of things you like to watch and you like to break down. Do you think this team is fundamentally better defensively than it was in the regular season? No, not really. I think in um, certain lineups they are. But I still think in the Indiana series kind of showed it a little bit. Like we talked about it all regular season, the issues that they had on defense, transition defense, um, pick and roll defense, and getting out and contesting three-point shots. Um, And Indiana was able to exploit all of those at times throughout the course of the postseason. It's just Indiana didn't have enough high-level talent and enough margin for error for them to actually win the series. You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't have a good enough offensive repertoire and consistent offensive players to do that. I think I think this is very, very similar to, to last year, Joe, where it's like, okay, the Cavs' defense looked a lot better throughout the Eastern Conference playoffs because they played one-star team, Indiana, then they played Toronto, and Kyle Lowry missed the two final games of that series against the Raptors, and then they could yep. just like commit yep. so much attention to DeMar DeRozan. And then they played um, Boston, who the Cavs were never concerned about anyway, and then Isaiah Thomas goes down. And then you started to get this sense of, hey, you know, the Cavs were able to lock into one opponent, and their defense looks better. Then they play against the Warriors, and I know it's the Warriors, and they do this to everybody, but the bottom line was they played against a team that had more than one star, an offense that was one of the best in the NBA, and um, talent on the same level as the Cavs, and they exposed all of the bad habits that they built throughout the course of the regular season. Like, I believe the same thing is going to happen again this year. Oh God! Of course, yes. <laughs> yeah, and it might even this happen. Is not a discussion about that. <laughs> it might even happen in the conference finals if it's Philadelphia instead of Boston, where they've got this high-level talent. They're a great offense. They run a really, really good system. Like that might be the team that that exposes more of the Cavs' defensive flaws, but. But I just don't buy into that their defense is, is all that improved. Although, I will say, I thought last night it was very good. Um, and I think they deserve credit for the way that they played in the second half, especially against Jonas Valanciunas, um, and the way that they limited Kyle Lowry in the fourth quarter. I thought that was really good. So, the, the, in the, on the final possession of regulation, um, where, again, you know, the, the Raptors end up missing all those shots, but, but the first one... Or, or kind of the, the thing that, that set them off their course was the Rosen had the ball in the right wing. Yep. Um, and I think they tried to run a pick and roll, and they switched, and George Hill switched onto him and, pre- and pressed DeRozan so tight to the to the, the sideline there that it kind of threw it threw off everything. Um, and that was a just a high level defensive play and a high level defensive scheme that frankly. They didn't run, and they weren't good enough to do during the regular season. So I mm-hmm. thought, um, you know, not only are they poised offensively late in these games, which we talked about earlier, I thought that was a really nice thing to see, um, to be 
for him to be able to pull out that kind of defensive play uh, with the with the ball uh, in DeRozan's hands like that. Right, and I think that's fair, but the end result was a 41% three-point shooter wide open from the right wing. Yeah. I mean, yep. Fred Van Vliet in last night's game was one of five on uncontested shots. He's a six-man-of-the-year candidate. He might finish second in six-man-of-the-year voting. He was a 41% three-point shooter. Um, and maybe the Cavs feel like because it wasn't DeRozan, it was a success. But, like... I I still don't know how that shot didn't go in. He had time to, like, spin the ball as much as he wanted to before they closed out on him, and he just missed it. Right. You ready yeah. for questions? I'm just saying, yeah. Look, look, look. Yeah, let's do some questions. All right. Um, this one comes from Just Asking. Says, can Cavs afford risking LeBron injury given the obvious fatigue and resulting drop in production as he defined his game as the worst of the season? When will Lou draw the line, if not right here, take the home court, go to best of five? You might be able to get a better version of Love back in that strategy as well. You wrote about this, right, last night? Yeah, I mean, listen, guys, listen. This was just a, a silly idea that I had yesterday morning. <laughs> um, Looking at what, just looking at the, the workload of LeBron, um, the, the high likelihood that he would play high minutes again, and the fact that there, this series goes every other day, that there's no, if you remember last year in the conference semifinals, somehow the Warriors, they ended up with three days in between, in between two of their games in the conference semifinals. Yep. And like, the Cavs were outraged by that. Um, and you know that the Warriors ha- had it. Well, there's no break like that in this series, um, and so they're going to play every other day. And if they were some- going to somehow steal it, you know, I just thought, wouldn't that be something if you actually sat LeBron just to preserve him? Mm-hmm. Um, like they're not interested in that. Like Ty has shown he's interested in playing LeBron as much as he can possibly play him for as long as he has him on his team. Um, and LeBron wants to play, I think, as well. LeBron, when I spoke to this, spoke to him about this privately, he actually he didn't look at me like I was nuts. It was more of just like, listen, like I can't do that on this team. Yeah, um, I'm I'm too important to this team. So they are not looking at this from an injury perspective. Um, you know, everybody's susceptible to those things. LeBron seemingly less so than anybody else. He's a cyborg. Um, you know, I, I think he'll be better in game two. I think that, you know, being here and being off his feet for the last 48 hours is a good thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's, he's in the red right now. I mean, you know, he, he, he worked too hard in the first series. There was no time to prepare for this one. Yep. And so I'm not at all surprised by that 12 to 30. And... I mean, there's not a lot of time in between the game going into tomorrow night because the game's two hours earlier than it usually is, Joe. Um, so it's at a funky time. Um, it's A goofy time. It is. It, it's a weird series setup. There is just never that extra day. And I felt going into the series, that's something that could have played into Toronto's favor if they took advantage of the opportunities in front of them. Now, they squandered the opportunity last night, but... I still think the fact that there isn't that single extra day at all in this series is something that 
is very, very funky and detrimental to the Cavs. So I think that, like, LeBron, like, I think they need him to play about 40 minutes. Mm. Um, I think that's, that's probably the number. And Ty wasn't that far off of it. Um, you know, if, if the third quarter had gone a little better, um, he could have gotten there. And, you know, so, so I think LeBron was going to come in at about 42 minutes, uh, and then he had overtime. So, um, so, so, so Ty made an effort to try to curb this. You know, I like what Ty's doing, um, to, to kind of stagger LeBron at the end of the first and third quarter so yep. he can have him. Uh, against Toronto's bench, so they are thinking about this. Um, it's just you know the overtime game, you know, made that situation what it was. Yeah. Um, Jordan tweets at us. He says, "Is Jetty a possibility for this series, depending on the play of Rodney Hood and Jordan Clarkson?" Yeah. So I don't. It doesn't sound like it. Um, I mean, I, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but the Cavs. In, in in some way traded Dwayne for Jetty. Um, they we can we can get into all kinds of stuff about Dwayne Wade's time here, but mm-hmm. one of the rationales for actually trading him was they wanted to play Jetty. Mm. And so, so you know, Dwayne would look really good on the bench right now. Um, mm. and it's a, a guy LeBron can count on in the fourth quarter and he's not here. Yeah. Um, and Jetty, Jetty, meanwhile, can't get out there. And Rodney and Jordan have just really struggled. And today, what Ty said about Rodney, I mean, the way I wrote it in my story was like, listen, guys, you can draw your own conclusion as to what that means. Um, but, but Ty basically said that Rodney's struggling because they grab you and push you and hold you in the mm-hmm. playoffs. I mean, he, call, he called him, he called him a what? Like, that, like, I mean, he said he can't handle the physicality. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what that means. Um, and and so you know, the thing about Jetty is, I, I actually really think that that game against Philadelphia hurt him. Um, if you remember, you know, towards the end of the regular season, the Cavs fell down by 109 in the first half, and then came <laughs> roaring back. Should have won the game, um, but he he played Jetty huge minutes in the second half. And I think Jetty was like two of eleven that day. Yep. Um, and he had a couple of huge, huge misses and turnovers and dropped dropped rebounds. Um, and he hasn't really recovered from that. And so they're not playing him. The thing about Jetty is he wouldn't let this pressure get to him where it feels like both Rodney and Jordan have. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like Ty's going to ride these guys out. Uh, and stick with Jordan and stick with Rodney, but you know, I, I would suggest that if Rodney doesn't get it together, that you can take a look at Jetty. Uh, if for no other reason that he will play harder and be more physical um, and not shy away from the contact, whereas apparently, according to the coach, Rodney has. I'm going to throw in my own question here in the middle of this Q and A uh, because you brought up something, and I think it's fascinating. Um, and I saw some people talking about this a little bit last night as the game was going on, and Larry Nance Jr. was plastered on the bench. And every series calls for something different, and I recognize that. But with what you said about Dwayne Wade and Jetty Osman, and like that was about trying to get Jetty some more playing time, get him into the rotation. I don't know. Is it fair to say that the front office and the coaching staff 
are not necessarily simpatico when it comes to some of these decisions. Like, the Cavs gave up a first-round pick for Larry Nance Jr., and he's not playing right now, and his minutes were limited against Indiana in the first round, too. Um, and, and you mentioned they essentially traded away Dwayne Wade to open up a spot for Jetty Osman, and Jetty's not in this rotation either. So, it... I don't know. It's just kind of weird to me that it doesn't seem like they're in sync necessarily on on roster decisions and guys that should be playing. Right. I mean, that goes all the way back to the summer. And and you had Kobe getting players in here. You had Ty getting players in here. And you had LeBron getting players in here. Um, That can't happen going forward. And I I don't think it will. (laughs) Uh, but, but, But beyond that, then, Kobe went and got these four guys. Uh-huh. Um, Ty didn't have anything to do with it. LeBron didn't have anything to do with it. Like this is this is Kobe's team. But you're right. Um, there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect there. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, um, it's like I, I want to be fair to the current situation and sure. the current front office and and Ty. It does not seem as though that there's the same interaction as there was under the previous front office, of which everybody who's here now was here then. It was just there was a different boss. Um, you know, but it just still doesn't seem that there is that, that interaction between general manager and coach. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, they've, uh, this is Ty's team to coach. Like, the front office is still feeling its way. Yeah. Um, and who who would you play right now? I mean, of course you would play Tristan right now. Yes, he's he's he's, he's playing like gangbusters. Yep, he's the guy who started for you in three finals. Um, you know, this is Larry's first run at it. I think if they could play somebody other than George, Jordan Clarkson, they probably would. Right. Um, but Jose Jose has not acquitted himself well. Um, and I think, as I said, I think George, I think Jetty scared scared them with how bad he was against. Sixers, and so now they're sticking with Rod. So, yeah. you know, I I, I, I I think you're right. I think there is a disconnect, but I don't want to drill down on it because I kind of feel like Ty's playing mostly the guys he shouldn't play. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Frieder says, are we not re-signing Rodney Hood in this offseason? It's like he almost knew exactly what we were talking about on this podcast when he sent the question in. Yeah, I feel bad for Rodney. I think he's cost himself a ton of money. A ton of money. And I think he's looking at the qualifying offer. I I think that, you know, it makes a lot of sense for the Cavs to extend that to him. Um, And then I would be surprised. Uh, I certainly don't think that somebody would give him a big contract based off of what he's done this year. Um, You know, would someone go above the qualifying offer? Maybe. And then would the Cavs match it? Probably not. But I don't know. If LeBron's here and you're trying to rebuild and, and you know, you can get Rodney cheap, maybe you do that because he is only 25. Um, but he's not – I don't believe he is I, – I thought I thought he was in line for a big payday um, this summer when they traded for him, and he was not. Yeah. Uh, Joe Cavs, not you, another Joe Cavs, tweets and says – do you think there's any chance Paul George could pull a Chris Paul opt-in just to get traded to the team of his choice, maybe even the Cavs? Um, well, maybe. Um, 
he could do that. I guess he could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I mean, if you're Paul George and you're trying to play with LeBron, and LeBron is non-committal to Cleveland, yeah, why would you want to come to play with him in Cleveland instead of LA? Right. Um, so, I guess that's possible. Yeah. It doesn't seem likely at this point, but sure. I mean, you know, I, I think that I think to keep to keep LeBron, they're going to have to try to get a Paul George or a Kawhi. Yep. Um, they're going to probably have to trade Kevin. Um, you know, and I don't know what they would do with that pick. I guess it depends on where that pick lands um, when the lottery comes here in a couple uh, in a couple weeks. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, they'd have to do something like that. Um, this one comes from Cavs fan for life along the same lines. He says, um, uh, saw a report out there from Peter Vesey that the Spurs would trade Kawhi and they would trade him to an Eastern Conference team. What do you think it would take for the Cavs to get Kawhi? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, even know, who knows what the mark is. I mean, if he's, I, I expect Kawhi Leonard to be with the Spurs, uh, actually. Hmm. I think they're going to get that worked out. Um but it's not, I mean, you know, what do the Spurs want from him? Do they want LeBron? Is that the trade? Right. Um, I, don't think Le- I don't think LeBron wants to go there, so I don't think that's it. Do they want Kevin? I mean, I, I'm not trading Kawhi Leonard. I'm not trading a healthy Kawhi Leonard for Kevin. Right. Um, so, you know, if you give, give me a scenario where, uh, of something they would take. All right, let's try and think out loud here. Um, the player drafted with the Brooklyn pick would be the centerpiece, I would think. Sure, um, yeah, I agree. And I would say either George Hill uh, to make the money match or Tristan Thompson to make the money match. Okay. And that's just okay. a start. I would think that you probably have to have something else in there, maybe like a jetty type another young, talented player. Because if you think about the Paul George package, like I know people ripped it to shreds at the time, but, but if you took the names out of it, it was two young, um, uh, controllable pieces for the Indiana Pacers. And I think that, that was important to them. So if they're going to move on from Kawhi, I would think that the San Antonio Spurs would want young, controllable pieces, right? Yeah, I, I that's, that's what I would. That's what I would think. Um, but what does it say to you? Those... What does it say to you, Joe, that the fans right now are asking us questions about Paul George and his future, Kawhi and his future, when the Cavs are in the Eastern Conference semifinals? Like I honestly don't remember getting these kinds of questions during other playoff runs. What do you think it says? Yeah, I, you know what that says to me. It says to me that. Um, I think it speaks more to the growth of the NBA and how okay. the NBA is, is more of an entertainment product than baseball or, or even the NFL. Um, but so much of the interest in, in, in this league is the drama and intrigue of what happens away from the floor. Um, you just don't have this kind of nonsense, like just crazy talk over baseball trades, like during the hot stove season. Um, you know, or, or like you don't even have blockbuster trades really, period, in the NFL. Um, that's not how it works. You know, in the NBA, it does. 
And so um, I think it I think it speaks more to that. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, some real fears about what LeBron's going to do um, than, than than anything else. Okay, last thing before we get out of here. This just came down from NBA. Um, Kevin Love's foul against DeMar DeRozan at the 111 mark of the fourth quarter has been upgraded to a flagrant one upon league office review. Why did they not review that at the time that it happened? They review everything nowadays. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, there was no full report on that. Um, I'm surprised. I, I, I mean... Did they review it? No, they no. did. They did not review. It. You're right. Nope. You're right. They did not. So I don't know. I don't know why they didn't do that. Uh, they should have. Um, that could change things. Oh my god! Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a very good free throw shooter going to the line. I can't believe they didn't review that. Crazy. So that just adds to it for Toronto and the frustration that they have to deal with as they go into Game 2 and they try and regroup 